Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And welcome, everybody, to the Pod's Honest Truth with David Brody. Hope all is well. Hey, let me just say uh, it's going to be a hot summer, okay? Uh, We're recording this podcast in... Uh, late June, and you can just tell that it's just going to be a sweat fest. And that is not making me happy. Anyhow, not that we're going to talk about that on the podcast today, but I just needed to get that off my chest because uh, it's been frustrating. I'll be honest with you. I, I don't like the heat. Look, I'm not a New Hampshire minus 17 in January type of guy, but look, 87 degrees and 97% humidity. Yeah, not doing the trick. For me. All right. Uh, time now to discuss Joe Biden, evangelicals, and faith outreach. That's right. I didn't say evangelicals and Donald Trump. I said Joe Biden and evangelicals because, folks, can we get a warning sign sound effect? Some sort of woo woo, you know, something that's going to. Thank you. Thank you very much. The warning is up for the Trump campaign. Joe Biden and his campaign are coming after some of those evangelicals. Now, granted, they're not going to get the boatload of evangelicals. Donald Trump's going to get all of those. But the question becomes, can Joe Biden's campaign pick off a percentage or two of Donald Trump's evangelical base? Because if they do, guess what, folks? It's over for Donald Trump. He'll be a one-term president. So those evangelicals that ushered him into the presidency could easily usher him out if one or two percent fall off in 2020. Uh, I am told, uh, Joe Biden's campaign telling me that they believe they're going to be able to pull off the surprise this fall and bring in some voters uh, from the evangelical movement. And look, Biden's campaign recognizes that, as I said, the majority of white evangelical Protestants are going to vote for Trump, okay? But they believe they have a good chance to win over certain subsets of that group. For example, younger millennial evangelicals. Uh, You know, those younger millennial Uh, evangelicals are not necessarily believing exactly what their parents are believing. They're a lot more moderate. And also you've got suburban women, uh, suburban evangelical women who may be a bit tired of uh, some of Donald Trump's rhetoric. Uh, And that's what some of the polling is showing. So, you know, I think that's really the issue as it relates to what Joe Biden's campaign is going to do. And so they're trying to have this broader set of issues like building a more fair and just society, climate change, racial injustice, immigration, all of that to hopefully pick off a percentage or two of that crucial evangelical vote. And let me explain why it is crucial. Uh, once again, I don't want to geek out on the numbers, okay? Uh, but but here is some facts for you uh, when it comes to the evangelical vote. Barack Obama won 26% of the white evangelical Protestant vote in 2008. In other words, he won 26% of Donald Trump's base, if you will. Remember, Donald Trump won 81% of white evangelical Protestants. Barack Obama actually won 26% of them in 2008. In 2012, Barack Obama went to, uh, 
Now, along comes Hillary Clinton in 2016, and she wins 1-6, 16%. So you've got Barack Obama at 26%, Hillary Clinton at 16%, and there you go, folks. Hillary Clinton doesn't become president of the United States because she decided she didn't want to talk about her Methodist faith. She kind of shied away from it. Barack Obama did not. Barack Obama did talk about his faith. As a matter of fact, he sat down with me four times, and he really did engage with that white evangelical Protestant community, and it paid dividends. And so along comes Biden, and he's going to try to do some of the same. And, you know, once again, let's be clear, poll after poll shows that the majority of evangelicals uh, see Donald Trump as someone fighting for their beliefs, but they do have some mixed feelings when it comes to the president's personal conduct. And I think that's where Joe Biden is going to try and play uh, the compassion card and kind of a restore the soul of the nation card. And hopefully that will be enough to make a difference. And by the way, not just white evangelicals that are in play as well. Uh, the Biden campaign is going to reach out to Latino evangelicals. And of course, Catholics. You know, Biden grew up in a middle class Catholic family. So he's hoping to win back Catholic voters. Donald Trump won Catholic voters in 2016 by seven percentage points in 2016. But this time around, Joe Biden being Catholic campaign believes that white working class Catholic voters in battleground states, you know, like Pennsylvania and Michigan, Wisconsin, that they are persuadable. Uh, and so what we've been seeing, some of my reporting shows that the, the Biden campaign has been holding virtual house parties with Catholic leaders across the country. Basically, church is over and then uh, the Biden campaign holds these virtual house parties with um, the Catholic leaders discussing uh, these broad sets of issues that highlight marginalized folks in society, the vulnerable in society. And, you know, the way the Biden campaign sees it is that that's straight from the Catholic catechism uh, and that they believe they can uh, win some Catholic voters for sure, of, of uh, voters over for sure. Now, of course, we know when you think of Catholicism, you think of public policy issues, you think of abortion. And of course, we know that Joe Biden is pro-choice when it comes to abortion, and that is something that the Catholic Church obviously doesn't approve of. As a matter of fact, during the campaign, Biden was denied communion at a Catholic church in South Carolina, and the, the, the father, uh, the Catholic father of the church at the time, Pastor Robert Morey, uh, said this, any public figure who advocates for abortion places himself or herself outside of church teaching. So the Biden campaign realizes that abortion is going to be a non-starter uh, for certain folks in the evangelical and uh, Catholic community. As a matter of fact, for the majority of them. But they also hope that Catholics are not single-issue voters. And they believe that Catholics are not single-issue voters. And, you know, that's going to be the case that they're going to make, <clears throat> excuse me, to them. Now, of course, Donald Trump's going to make the case, and he did this in an interview with me this past week, uh, back on Monday of this past week, that Joe Biden is going to uh, basically put radical leftist judges on the Supreme Court. And he says, you can forget about the pro-life movement because it is going to be over. And let's be honest. I mean, let's just lay the facts out. Joe Biden is for codifying Roe v. Wade into law. He also says he would get rid of the Hyde Amendment. And of course, we know the Hyde Amendment is that law that forbids federal dollars from being used to pay for most abortions. So, uh, look, these are the contours of the race uh, once again, we know elections are won at the margins, and so we're talking about 1% to 2%. And I want to go back to those Hillary Clinton-Barack Obama numbers. Hillary Clinton, 16% of the white evangelical vote in 2016. 
Barack Obama, 26% of the white evangelical vote in 2008. You can just do the math, folks. If Joe Biden can get 17, 18, 19%, somewhere in between the Barack Obama number, which was very high, let's be honest, and Hillary Clinton, which was relatively low, Joe Biden just has to do somewhere in the middle. Quite frankly, he might even have to be low to middle at this point, maybe 17, 18%, like I said, and that would be the end of Donald Trump's presidency. Uh, it's just that simple. So that's why we played the warning sign. If you're a Donald Trump fan, uh, you've got to have the warning sign and the warning sound effect all over this podcast because um, the, the Biden campaign is going to try and figure out a way to siphon some of those votes off. All right, we're going to discuss this more coming up in the next segment with Michael Ware. Michael Ware ran the faith outreach for the Obama campaign back in 2012. I've known him for a long time. He's got some great insights. He's next on The Pod's Honest Truth. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And welcome back, everybody, to the Pod's Honest Truth with David Brody. Time now for our interview with Michael Ware. Michael Ware ran Obama's faith outreach campaign back in 2012. He knows evangelicals. He knows Catholics. He knows the faith community. He knows the progressives. He knows everyone. Uh, he's kind of a middle-of-the-road guy as it relates to not being one of these far-left Democrats who are out there on the social justice progressive scale. Uh, but he he understands uh, some of the conservative evangelical concerns. He's got some of them himself. And, you know, I've known Michael for a very long time. He he really has a, is a sane voice of reason when it comes to talking faith and politics, especially as it relates to campaigns. So wanted to have him on. So here is his take on what the Biden campaign is and is not doing in 2020 and how they can have a winning hand and have Joe Biden become the next president of the United States. Here's Michael Ware. Michael Ware, good to see you, sir. It's always great to catch up with you. Yeah, good to be with you, David. All right. uh, Democrats and Faith and Biden, uh, can can you give us kind of a lay of the land, kind of an overview macro sense of of what's going on as, as it relates to Democrats trying uh, to talk to voters of faith in 2020. We have this discussion, you know, every year, definitely every four years for sure. Um, to tell me a little bit about what maybe Joe Biden needs to do and what Democrats need to do in this upcoming election cycle. Well, the good thing for the Biden campaign is they're not uh, sort of working from scratch. Uh, uh, the former vice president is someone who's worked with the faith community for a very long time. He's a, a committed Catholic. Uh, he's put a lot of energy into uh, building relationships and working with the faith community. And so really the the job of the campaign is to communicate that and to build on that that history. I'm seeing uh, significant work that they have a they have a, a a robust staff for this point in the campaign. I hope to see them add uh, add to it as we get closer to the general, but they have, uh, they have tremendous folks on on the team who understand the faith community, but but most importantly, the, the vice president gets 
the faith community. And you've seen from uh, uh, their advertising, from the, the major remarks he's given, uh, faith and sort of a, a, a sensibility related to the faith community, particularly to his Catholic background, is woven into uh, his remarks. I think it connects with a broad range of, uh, of people around this country, and, and that's going to be important moving forward. Michael, I want to read you a quote you had said uh, in the past. Uh, this is about Democrats and faith, and specifically yeah. about the candidate, whoever it would be at the time. I don't know if it was Biden at the time. I'll have to get the, the uh, timeline on this. But this is what you said. If the Democratic nominee makes the case, I believe Christians from all backgrounds will play their part to ensure this president is defeated and defeated soundly in November. Of course, what struck me in that quote, Michael, is where you say if the Democrat nominee makes the case what what is the what is the case that joe biden needs to make um to not i i want to say you say to the faith community so i want to be clear you know there's different parts of the faith community but but tell me a little bit about what you're what you're saying here well so the important you know so uh we've talked about 2016 before and uh i've been very clear that uh, the invitation was not given in 2016. Right. Broad swaths of the faith community did not feel like the Democratic nominee was interested in their vote. Uh, I already think watching this campaign and how the vice president has acted, his consistency regarding his view that he wants to unify the country, his consistency regarding the fact that he uh, doesn't think that um, uh, that we should be uh, looking to divide Americans, uh, and the fact that he's spoken to people of faith, whether you look at uh, his Holy Week messages, whether you look at the way that uh, faith is included on his website, um, he's, he's offered the invitation. So part of making the case uh, means, means just making your best case explicitly to faith voters. Right. Um, there's, gonna, there's room to grow there. I, I think that's going to have to expand. But for this point in the campaign, I think he, he is doing what he needs to do uh, to let uh, people from different faith communities, uh, let uh, uh, moderate and conservative uh, Christian voters know that uh, they can vote for him and they'll have a partner. They'll have someone that they could, uh, they could work with. Uh, they certainly won't agree all of the time. But I think he's sending the message Look, I, I, I'm someone who wants to be president for the whole for the whole country, and that's 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 very important. And then the other piece of this, David, is um, look, look. I, I mean, uh, the President Trump has his base, and he's going to have uh, he's going to have most of that base vote for him in November. Uh, the 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 question is, um, for so much of the rest of the country. Um, President Trump seems unable to reach out to everyone but his most diehard supporters in a consistent way. Mm-hmm. Maybe that changes in the next five months, but I think you and I both agree this president doesn't change too often. So, so, the, so the question is, does, does, uh, does a former vice president, is he able to take advantage of the fact that um, th- this president is toxic to a broad uh, uh, really a majority of this country. It depends who turns out to the polls in November and uh, whether Vice President uh, Biden makes himself uh, an attractive, acceptable uh, uh, home for, uh, for folks is, is going to help determine how, how that turns out. 
Well, Michael, you mentioned the evangelical vote, if you will, that Trump base. We, we know about this 81% figure of white evangelicals. Yeah. I call it white evangelicals because that's how CNN does their exit polling. I mean, they say white evangelicals. Right. That's, exactly. I, I just yeah. want to be clear on that. Uh, but, but beyond that, uh, I'm not a mathematician, but that to me, let me think, 100 minus 81% means about 19% of white evangelicals did not vote uh, for this president. We know 16% went to Hillary Clinton. So it seems to me that elections are won at the margins here, Michael. And if, if Joe Biden can pick off a percentage or two of those white evangelicals who are not on board with Trump, especially in swing states like North Carolina, Florida, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, I can go on, uh, th right. that, could, that could be a huge game changer. Is that your estimation as well? Yes, and I think he's on track to do that. Uh, okay. I mean, as you know, we, we were, uh, well, I've known you for a long time, David, as you know, in 2008, Barack Obama won 26% of white evangelicals. And in 2012, uh, obviously with former Vice President Biden on the ticket, uh, he won 21%. That, as you said, those five, a 5% jump, if, Former Vice, if former Vice President Biden is on track for that, those 2012 numbers, uh, he will win by a significant margin. If, if he is approaching 26% uh, with white evangelicals, the, the Obama 2008 numbers, uh, I, I feel confident saying it, it, will, it will be a, uh, uh, he'll have uh, over 320 electoral votes, it will be a significant uh, victory. And I'd say the same for Catholics. You know, uh, uh, the Obama-Biden ticket won the Catholic vote in 2008 and 2012 uh, after John Kerry lost in 2004. And according to most, uh, according to the initial exit polls, at least, Hillary Clinton lost the Catholic vote in 2016. Mm -hmm. I think Biden right now is on track to, to win back the Catholic vote. Well, you say all of that, uh, and I agree with you wholeheartedly on all of that. So my question then becomes, you mentioned earlier, he, he Biden has, or the campaign has room to grow, were your words. Um, what does that mean exactly? What needs to happen between now and election day in that, in that space of room to grow? You, you mentioned that he was doing a pretty good job so far, but what's the, what's the space in between, Michael? Yeah, so uh, his staff needs to continue to grow. His state operations in these battleground states need to be sensitive to religious voters. They need to have the capacity and desire to uh, to, to reach out to religious voters in, in a way that uh, is is uh, relevant to them. Uh, he needs to continue speaking to religious voters. I, I expect to see uh, at least one or two sort of major moments where he's speaking directly to the faith community, just, just like there are events for speaking to other groups. Um, and so th those will be key moments. And then, you know, he's gonna, uh, he has the opportunity to lay out uh, a, a policy agenda that's relevant. And this is a policy agenda that in my mind that uh, both is very positive about areas where he agrees with uh, a lot of the faith community, whether it's on the environment, and that's already on his website. Whether it's uh, uh, whether it's um, uh, whether it's poverty, whether it's uh, issues like the Trump administration's child separation policy at the border, and then it's also uh, uh, giving some sense that on issues where maybe there are some disagreements, um, that that uh, this will not be an antagonistic administration. And for folks who have watched Biden's career, this is not someone who is been going around looking to 
uh, antagonized. This is someone who loves bringing people together. Uh, th th they need to, uh, this campaign needs to let Biden be Biden in that regard. And, and I think they'll be fine. How does he navigate the abortion issue? Catholicism and abortion, I don't want to say go hand in hand, but obviously there's been, yeah. we know about that relationship within the Catholic Church and abortion. How does he navigate that, Michael? Yeah, well, here's obviously it was an interesting primary. I think it's, I think it's noteworthy, David, um, that there were, uh, there were candidates who uh, were uh, trying to take the party uh, further to the uh, left on this issue uh, that were tr using all kinds of, in my view, you know, ridiculous language, uh, they, they lost, who, who emerged out of the Democratic primary for all the rhetoric that's going to come from the religious right, you know, as this general heats up, who came out of the primary, someone who's, who's voted for abortion restrictions, and certainly someone in former Vice President Biden who, who doesn't think abortion is something uh, to celebrate. He's been consistent on this uh, issue that that he believes that uh, 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 he, he supports Roe v. Wade. So voters who their only sort of issue is getting rid of Roe probably aren't going to uh, vote for, mm -hmm. for Vice President Biden. Who he's going to be able to attract are people who uh, perhaps think uh, Abortion is an important issue. Want to see a, uh, the number of abortions reduced in this country? Maybe even they do support getting rid of Roe, but they look at the uh, sort of the uh, array of issues on this ballot. They look at President Trump's record. They look at uh, former Vice President Biden's record and decide, you know what? I feel uh, safer. I feel more secure. I feel like it's uh, uh, for the common good uh, overall. Uh, former Vice President Biden is, is the candidate. You know, real quick, it reminds me that this, this opportunity for Biden here to kind of appeal to the better angels like Barack Obama did in 2008. It kind of reminds me, you know, back in the day, uh, Barack Obama in 2008 was coming off of George W. Bush and Dick Cheney and waterboarding and the Iraq war. There was a lot of stuff going on. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, he was kind of positioning himself as kind of the law and order president. Trump's doing it a far more clearly, but George W. Bush had that streak in him as well. And along came Barack Obama with hope and change and, and, and that better angels approach. I wonder if Joe Biden can't capitalize or can capitalize, I should say, on that same philosophy, this compassion, this restoring the soul of the nation. It, it seems to me like a, a real opportunity to get some of those uh, Catholics that voted for Trump in swing states and also some of the evangelicals. Well, you, you know, uh, th this is a moment where uh, it looks like this election is going to be about the very reasons why former Vice President Biden got into this race in the first place, hmm. um, which is, uh, in a way, how it should be. You know, he, he got in this race, it seems pretty clear, in large part because he was uh, shocked and disappointed in the president's response in Charlottesville. We're now in another moment in this country where we're divided, uh, and, and there there is a lot of... Uh, uh, disagreement and uh, politicization around issues of race, but also around issues of class, around uh, around the basic functioning of our politics. And in November, we're going to get to have a debate. <laughs> like, we're, like the American people are going to get to choose, uh, do we think this constant conflict driven not just 
in presidential speeches, but in presidential tweets. Is, is, is that the kind of political culture we want to hand down to our children? Is that how government should function? Or is there a, a better way? Is perhaps uh, Vice President Biden's history of uh, bringing together bipartisan coalitions of trying to find common ground ways on divisive policy issues, even if it, even if uh, he hasn't always gotten it uh, right, he's moved the ball forward. That's going to be um, that's going to be the the debate. And, and it, it, you know, at, at the end of the day, the American people get to choose, and and that choice is going to be a reflection, uh, yes, on the candidates, yes, on President Trump and former Vice President Biden, but it's also going to be a reflection on us. I want to ask you one last question. You, you, you've talked before, you've been very outspoken about this. I'm sure you've taken some pits about this, about, uh, you know, challenging the Democratic Party on, on the yeah. faith issue. Um, yeah. uh, look, you, you, you haven't called them this at all, but critics have said that the Democratic parties, that they want to call the Democrats a godless party. I know you haven't said that, but, but, yeah. but you've heard the criticism. So, so what's, the, what's the rebuttal to that? How, how, do you, um, how do you navigate those waters when the Democratic Party uh, has this reputation, like it or not, uh, that they're going away from traditional, if not traditional Judeo-Christian values, th this idea that, you know, they're not really engaging as much uh, on faith talk. Yeah, well, uh, David, uh, as as you know, uh, I am uh, chief strategist at an organization called the AND Campaign. Yep. And uh, we have a, a book coming out in July called Compassion and Conviction, the Ann Campaign's Faithful Guide to Civic Engagement. And in that book, uh, we discuss the role of political parties in the life and perspective of a Christian. And the, the basic message here, David, is uh, uh, you do not become a Democrat or a Republican for that party to influence you. You become a Democrat or Republican to influence that party. That's what our parties are for. Our parties are, aren't brands. Our parties aren't identities. They're vehicles for sort of mediating how voters feel. Uh, and so that means that I can have even worked for uh, Democrats in the past. Uh, as a Christian, I look and there are things that concern me about Democrats. Uh, sure. uh, there, there are, um, uh, you know, they, we, we discussed at one point, uh, you know, they passed a, a, a resolution that seemed to put, uh, uh, seemed to suggest that um, uh, uh, non-religious folks might have a better uh, grasp on uh, reality and science than others. I, I, I think the, the, the Jesus who um, holds the world together in his hands has a pretty good grasp on science. And so like, we'll, we'll have those debates. Of course, at the base of the Democratic Party are the most religious by many traditional measures, church attendance, uh, uh, high view of the Bible. At the base of the party are, are black Protestants. And so right. the Democratic Party is at an interesting tension point where uh, we have a significant portion of the party, uh, a minority, by the way, but a significant portion of the party that's um, religiously unaffiliated, and that includes atheists. It also includes people who, who believe in God but don't ascribe to a particular um, faith. But then we also have a majority that are Christian, uh, again, a, a, a very robust um, uh, uh, Hispanic, uh, Catholics, Evangelicals, Black uh, Protestants, 
minority faiths now overwhelmingly are a Democrat, the, a Democratic. That wasn't always the case. So we we have we have a party. <laughs> That's what we have. We'll have disagreements. We'll sort it out. Uh, and uh, hopefully we have a leader. And I think we do. Uh, this time around, and vice, uh, in former Vice President Biden, uh, who uh, who, see, who sees the whole party. Let me ask you the la uh, just the last question before we wrap up. Uh, I've always been kind of enamored or interested in this idea that evangelicals that are voting for Trump are voting in the macro. In other words, they they understand. Uh, look, this is not Boy Scout in chief. Uh, he is not a moral crusader. They they get that. They understand he's Donald Trump. Right. And they're willing to pass over all of that. And the reason is because they'll vote in the macro because he's with them on those issues. And so I think and there's a lot more to it. But but here's the yeah, point. Yeah. Here's the point. What do you do with a candidate or a candidate, a president in this case, who may not be the most uh, moral guy in the world in terms of the stellar record, but champions your issues? And then you have someone like and, and I just make the case yeah, yeah. A, a Joe Biden who, uh, you know, upstanding kind of moral guy, the whole thing, but doesn't comport with the issues that are important to traditional evangelicals. So, so evangelicals see it as like, look, I'm going to vote on the issues and the issues yeah. Trump aligns more with my issues, even though I might not align with Trump and his Twitter feed every day, if you know yeah. what I'm saying. Well, I, I'd say a few things, David. First, um, for traditional evangelicals, uh, your issue set, should not be drawn from uh, what, how your parents voted, uh, what your, go to scripture. And, it, and if you think the only political issues uh, that are invoked in scripture are just uh, a couple social issues, uh, uh, just abortion and, and LGBT issues, um, then I, I just don't think you're reading closely enough. So, 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 it, so generously, it, I, I just wanna uh, uh, have a, have a broader issue set. If you're going to apply your faith to your politics, apply the whole thing, not just sort of what you're used to voting for. Uh, the, the second thing I'd say is um, uh, morality is a uh, 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 is a, a competence issue, and competence is a morality issue. Pre President Trump, even on those issues you're referring to, David, President Trump is not competent enough. He's not committed enough to. Uh, protect evangelicals' interests on those issues. We saw that just this week. The, this whole thing was supposed to be about getting the quote-unquote right justices on the Supreme Court. And the biggest threat, an issue I've worked on, David, as you know for years, is protecting the religious freedom of institutions uh, when it comes to uh, 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 the advancement of LGBT rights. And it was Trump's nominee who writes the opinion right. that, that every religious right organization for decades, David, said, if this happens, it's the end of religious freedom. I don't happen to believe that, um, uh, but, but let, let's just go on what your own advocates have, have said for you. And so even on these issues, uh, Brett Kavanaugh, Trump's other nominee, denied cert uh, so that the Supreme Court wouldn't hear a case on defunding Planned Parenthood. So, so even on these issues where Trump says, I'm looking out for you, I'm going to defend you. Uh, let's remember, maybe there are some good sides of him not being a politician. But one bad thing about him not being a politician is he really doesn't know how politics work. 
he really doesn't know how policy works. And so that's not the kind of person who's going to really be able to uh, it move the ball forward on some of these critical uh, priorities. Well, I would say just to, <laughs> just to push back a little bit on Gorsuch, for sure, it came, I mean, a lot of folks were like, what in the world? Uh, I get that part of it. But, uh, you know, I think on balance, my, my guess is Gorsuch will probably be there most of, you know, 75, 80%. I don't know if he's a suitor. Uh, if you will, we'll, we'll see. We'll see about that. I don't know. Yeah, David. We'll we'll see. I, I guess what I'm what I'm saying is, um, everything else has been hand waved away. Uh, his um, uh, his flippancy with basic norms of how government should work, uh, the way he talks about people in this country, things like the child separation policy, uh, all uh, kinds of things have been hand waved away with. Yeah, maybe those things matter, but they don't matter to me as much as uh, as religious freedom. And uh, so, if you're going to hang that much on these on these court justices, I don't think eighty percent is good enough. It shouldn't be good enough for the for the voters who um, uh, who feel like they're holding their nose when they have to vote for Trump. Yeah. And, and and the final thing I'll say, David, is um, I just think this is a fundamentally different setup than we had in 2016. I I, th I think I think voters. Will be by November. We'll be able to look at former Vice President Biden and say, "Look, I, I don't agree with the guy on everything, but but this is someone I'm going to be able to to work with. This is someone who who understands where I'm coming from, even if he doesn't agree with me all the time." And I think that's going to be important to a lot of voters. Michael Ware, I could talk to you all day. I appreciate it, sir. Thank you so much. Really, thank you. Thanks, David. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. That is Michael Ware here on the Pod's Honest Truth. Some final thoughts now for you on this episode. You know, this whole Biden-Trump evangelical storyline reminds me of what was happening back in 2007. Remember back then, Barack Obama comes on the scene and talks about hope and change, your better angels, compassion, love your neighbor as yourself, all of that. Well, let's remember the context as well. It comes out of those Bush years, which included the Iraq War and waterboarding and George W. Bush's tough Texas machismo swagger, if you will. Don't forget Dick Cheney and his tough as, tough as nails VP persona. And now, fast forward to 2020, along comes Joe Biden preaching unity, compassion, kumbaya, holding hands, walking together, kind of like the Obama message back when he won the presidency. And of course, Donald Trump is in the George W. Bush role, only, of course, 10 times more swagger and law and order. It sets up as a dangerous zone for President Trump and his re-election chances and a real opportunity for Joe Biden to become the next president of the United States. And that's the Pod's Honest Truth. Until next time, America. America.